This podcast is from heptagonclub.co.uk and paulcarenza.com. The Heptagon Club. Heptagon Club. Heptagon Club with Paul Carenza. Seven guests, seven corners. On this week's show. The species that comes after us will see the London. That was the high point. Just all about our friendly bacteria. Vampire Turner and Lorraine Kelly and Mr. Motivator. And your host, Mr. Paul Carenza. Uh, welcome to the podcast. A happy summer to you. I hope it's been uh, hot for you or is hot for you. Or, well, not too hot, of course. Last week, that was too hot. This week, not hot enough. The British summer is very much a Goldilocks type situation, isn't it? Let's get it right, people. Come on, a perfect 21 to 25 degrees. Balmy, that's what we're after. Uh, well, you, a uh, future listener, are probably very, very far away from now, which is summer 2017, in some rainy, blustery, ice-cold tundra. Some nuclear winter has probably descended over the planet like a giant space duvet. Well, regardless of where, in time or space, you are you are most welcome. Uh, seven more guests this week. Our role is simply seven interesting, fascinating, often diverse uh, people, depending on their passions and unique takes on their working worlds. It all depends who I run into and who I invite along to the Heptagon Club each week. Uh, We've been full on comedy lately, uh, but this week we've gone quite businessy. Yep, some comedy folk are buried in here too, uh, but I've bumped into a few big business bods lately, and I I do need some business sense, God knows, uh, and he does actually know. He looks down and goes, oh my, my, Carenza, your bank balance. Uh, So, dear listeners, do help me with that by all means. If you have uh, any, um, I don't know, gigs uh, or writing needing doing, then I am your man, because I have a giant tax bill from working on Top Gear last year, and I've spent most of it due to bad planning. So um, do get in touch, anyway, by all means. Also, come see my new show, Navalless Gazing. It's touring around the country. It's on at uh, Hazelmere Festival, Guildford Fringe, Camden, uh, Museum of Comedy in September, and then Liverpool Nottingham Festival end of the year. So um, come and seek out those. Plus, I tour around my tried-and-tested old-school comedy music show, mostly around churches or theatres, but anywhere really if you've got a venue and a crowd uh, do get in touch if you fancy it uh, with my writer's hat on of course if you need something written script edited i um, i wrote an advert recently that was quite fun and new uh, so if you are in a position to offer such things gives a job anyway this week i have assembled seven guests for us uh, here at the Heptagon Club, who are indeed much better at business sense uh, than I at this sort of thing. So uh, we're going to talk to the head honcho of one of Britain's biggest charities, Oasis, top bod Steve Chalk, uh, how to set up your own men's magazine from scratch with Steve Legg. Uh, Then we have non-Steve guests, uh, including Peter Buckley Hill, the man who single-handedly transformed the Edinburgh Fringe with his free fringe. We've got Paul Duncan McGarity on combining his twin careers of stand-up comedy and archaeology. David Whitney on combining his stand-up and acting. We've got the co-creator of Peter Kay's Car Share, Tim Reed. He returns with tips as he speaks to businesses on creativity and innovation. But first, the headline spot this week, generally reserved for a famous comedian. Instead, we have a famous name seen on high streets across the land, uh, with stores bearing her name, in bookshops, with dozens of her own books published, including the brand new The Good Gut Guide. Uh, She's on magazine racks with her Liz Earle Wellbeing magazine, in department stores with her name on countless products, Liz Earle is a name you probably either know and bow down to or you simply don't know yet. Uh, So guys, Britain's biggest independent beauty brand over the past few decades has been Liz Earle. Girls, you probably know this already. Uh, Liz Earle herself has now split from Liz Earle, the company that she set up, uh, but she now runs her well-being business and combines feeling good 
living well with immense business sense and experience. We are honoured, humbled, delighted to welcome the first of our seven guests, Liz Earl, MBE. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm very well. Thank nice you to for see being you. on the podcast. Very oh, good of you. It's a pleasure. I enjoy you. listening, so it's nice to be part That's of it. That's fantastic. It's very good of you to be here. So, um, uh, I, I, with the straw poll of my friends, I was just saying that... Uh, People either don't know you or love your stuff. That's so nice. Um, so <laughs> let's assume that our listeners may be of a similar ilk. Okay. So those who don't know you, you can have shops on the high street and beauty products and yeah, some I think Britain's biggest independent beauty Beauty brand. brand. Yeah, I guess, you know, it's funny, that's what I'm probably most mm. best known for, although that's mm. not where I started. Yes. Um, but yes, yeah, so I, I, um, I started as a journalist and as a mm. writer. I was writing books 30 years ago, all about beauty and well-being and often with a plant theme so I'm yes. quite botanical in yes, my background good. and then I had this incredible um, sort of 15 to 20 year journey if you like mm. into the world of beauty and um, because a good friend of mine said wouldn't it be a great idea if you had a range of skincare products using all these lovely plants and to, to be honest I thought it would be a nice sideline mm. and it just completely took off and was a real roller coaster and you're right we did we built it into what was then you know one of Britain's biggest independent mm. beauty brands and then it was the company was first sold back in 2010 but I yeah. stayed on um, and then I finally left earlier this year so I'm now completely free Correct. of all of that but have gone back to my original love and passion which is mm. writing all about well-being and looking good and feeling good yes so that's so there's a whole to the, you know, your magazines yeah that's publishing funny. so yeah. Yeah, I do a quarterly magazine as our well-being mm-hmm. and then I've my last my last book um, is the good gut guide Yep. which is all about our friendly bacteria and Excellent. our microbes right. that, that rule our lives. <laughs> Literally, they, you know, they are responsible for making us feel good. They are involved in brain health and obviously digestive issues. But you know, so much so much of modern science is mm. looking at these microbes. It's completely fascinating. I'm a real microbe bore, actually. You have to watch me on that. <laughs> oh, really? That's fine. Cut out loads Do of stuff us. about, about we, microbes. We love, love, love things that are <laughs> traditionally boring here. That's great. Yeah, evangelise on microbes by all means. Yeah, 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 well, you need to be drinking and eating lots of plain live yogurt and kefir. Okay. Um, making you brewing your own kombucha, home brew, and, and just really feeding these, these little microbes and the beneficial bacteria so okay. that we need to feed them with probiotics and support them with prebiotic foods. And, you know, it's, very, it's actually very interesting because if you look at mental health, for example, you might think, well, what's that got to do with gut health? But improving your level of beneficial bacteria can reduce the rates of depression. It can even help with really difficult things like OCD and self-harm and autistic children. It's, it's a lot that originates in the gut. Right. Um, and then from my point of view, looking at skin, there are a lot of skin disorders, eczema and psoriasis and things like that, that are helped by improving your gut microbes. Is that right? So it's, yeah, it's really interesting stuff. Well, you see, one of my questions <laughs> was going to be quite, the quite specific one, that um, my my son has keeps getting eczema right. behind the ears and mm-hmm. on, also in the um, fold of, of his the elbow. cracks of the elbow. Yeah, and so we just I literally in the last week think oh, shampoo must be the shampoo. Well, it could be. Yeah, yeah, sort of you definitely look at that. So you need to be a bit of um, mm. a forensic expert when it comes to labels. Yes. You know, buy a magnifying glass yes, and, and exactly. really scrutinise things like sodium lauryl sulfate and yes. lauryl sulfates. Yep. Really bad news for SLS. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So just you can get lots of versions now without SLS. Okay. And you're right. You know, washing your hair with a shampoo it does mm. then run down the rest of the body if you're mm. washing it in the shower or the bath. Um, but don't forget your inner microbes and there's plenty of research to show that boosting your beneficial bacteria can actually help reduce the rates of inflammation on the skin 
So I will give you a copy of the Good Gut Guide oh. to take away if you promise to study it. Absolutely. And well, report we'll be, back. Well, absolutely. We'll be with a fine, fine tooth coat. But the nice thing about it, especially right. with kids, you know, is mm. you don't have to get them to give up much. You can just start adding things in, a bit of plain live yoghurt, maybe a sachet of probiotic powder, you know, okay. in their cereal or whatever, or fruit juice or, you know, yogurty stuff that, you know, that really can help make all the difference. Right. Yes. See, I think I've, I'm, I mean, I'm 38 now and I've... I've spent my life not really looking after myself probably in the way I should be. And it's only now I've got kids, suddenly I'm looking after them in a way yeah. that I've never looked after myself yeah. or, um, you know, you worry about them and that sort of thing. Actually, but no, that, that's really true. And I, I wrote my first book when I was pregnant with Lily, who is now 26. Right. So I was 27. I started researching it really when I was 28. And I think I was just so keenly aware that I was kind of creating and growing this new being. Mm. And, it, you know, I could get away with eating all the junk I wanted. Mm. But actually, when it comes to somebody else and you're mm. suddenly responsible for nurturing that other person, you, you do start to think, look at things a bit differently. Well, I'm off for some kefir. Uh, first, I'm off to find out what kefir is. I think it's coffee pronounced funny or it could be like quinoa. quinoa. It's very confusing, this health and wellness world. And I'm delighted that Liz is helping us make sense of it. You know, actually, we had one pod listener uh, who heard that we had Liz on, suggested she launch her own talent show to find the next Mother Nature of the beauty business and call it the Ma X Factor. The Ma, Ma X Max Factor doesn't. It works better written down, I think, that one. Uh, speaking of pod listeners, some of you have been in touch on our Facebook page. You can search Heptagon Club, like us, join us there, or message me on Twitter at Paul Carenza. Special thanks to Andrew Kember and Sharon Crow for spreading word of us this week. So thank you, guys. And do tell people about us. It's the only way we grow and continue to exist. iTunes, Podbean, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Find us, rate us, share what we do, tell others thank you. More Liz Earl in a bit. Uh, meanwhile, six more guests to welcome, including this guy. You may know Steve Chalk as a broadcaster, as a pastor, not without controversy, as an author, an activist, a speaker, a writer, a man, a legend, a community leader. He's the nearest Christians have to Citizen Khan, I reckon. But more than anything, his charity Oasis are one of Britain's biggest setting up houses, hospitals, hostels and things that don't begin with H as well. Um, Steve Chalk, the man, the legend. Well, uh, thank you for being the here. The old man. The old man, I wouldn't say that at all. I wouldn't say that at all. Oasis is, is big. Mm. Uh, to evolve. It's one of the biggest charities in the country, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is now. I mean, uh, I, I began it in 1985, 32 years ago, so it was just me in a little a, a room, actually. And um, yeah, 32 years is a long wow. time, but wow. it's, 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 yeah, it's one of the biggest charities in the country now, and, and we also work in other countries, but we employ 5,500 people. Um, we run 47 schools. We have 25,000 kids in our schools. We run... Um, Food banks and farms, and um, uh, we run we run a hairdressing shop. Really, is well, that right? We, yeah, we run lots of things. You know, we run community shops, um, sporting facilities, um, nurseries, children's centres, uh, all sorts of things. Health health stuff, all yeah. sorts. Yeah. It sounds like basically it's everything in a town, but spread out over yeah, <laughs> over yeah. vast areas. I imagine. Yeah, so incredible. we work in thirty six communities around right. the UK, and the, what we do, I mean, the, co the thing that makes all this coherent, mm. in, in as far as it is coherent at all, is um, yeah, we we're, Oasis is dedicated to community building. Right. So in this community down the road, we run a children's centre. Mm -hmm. So that's, there's a play and stay in the morning and an after school club, and there's things for mums and toddlers etc 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 up the road we run a primary school right. uh, local primary school 
in this building, another part of this build building we're in, we run a there's a secondary school. Right. And all of these are fantastic things. So they're good, they're outstanding, you know, uh, yeah. by Ofsted, all of that. There's a community coffee house. We run the public library, which is just behind us, which we took on because Lambeth Council was shutting it. And they said um, it's not used as much as it should be. And we said, well, if we improve literacy yeah. in the area... Actually, the library will be used more, and so we're. So there you and go. I've, I've just been having a look, and it's, it's a proper library, isn't it? I yeah. went in there and go, "This is it's the, the local library is here." Yeah, it's, the, it's the local library, so it's on the system. Right. Lambeth still supply all the books and right. do the churn of books, and um, see, it's all about building community. And then there's a food bank through there, and a debtor-buy centre upstairs, and we need, we're just developing legal services and lots of other things. I'm amazed you can remember all of these. I can't remember. Like, I can't remember. There's a few more than that here. Yeah. But we do that in different communities around the country. That's great. And has it has it outgrown then? What I mean, I don't know what your vision of this was mm. when you began. Mm. Um, but this must—I didn't. Does anyone start out going? I'm going to do this, 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 and this, yeah. and this. Well, it was a little bit more static at the beginning. Right. At the beginning, when I was 14, when I was a kid, right. I grew up in South London, and I went to a dump school. It really was a dump school. And one night, Friday night. Um, walking home from a youth club I went to up the side of Palace Football Ground I'm a Palace oh, right. okay. Good work. Just, yes. excellent, excellent. we feel like we've just won yeah. the premiership but actually yeah, we yeah, just yeah. survived relegation yeah ok, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the, the thing is walking up the side of the Palace Football Ground one Friday night I decided when I grew up I wanted to set up a school that was worth going to and I wanted to set up a house for teenagers who'd never it, it, nobody had ever cared about them and I wanted to set up some health care and um, so in my 20s, I set about beginning to do that. And the first bit about Oasis was um, a house, which was very hard to get up and running, but we still run it it's down in Peckham. Right. And we work with, we provide housing and care and support and backup for um, 17 pluses who just got nowhere else to go. Um, but and then I thought, right, we do a house, and then one day we do a school, and one day we do a hospital, and they were all kind of you know little silos. Yeah. But in doing the house, and an extraordinary thing happened. I mean, it's not until you do anything that you learn anything. <laughs> well, like, I wouldn't know where to begin with something. It's the yeah. point of application yeah. that is the greatest point of wisdom impartation I suppose yeah. and it was with work, beginning to work with these kids my wife and I we um, moved these kids in into this house it took us about a year and a half two years to get going and um, we kitted it all out my wife's very artistic and these young people came to live with us and um, within three weeks, they'd stripped the entire house back. They nicked everything. Oh, really? They nicked the telly, the artwork, the yeah. and, and And I said to them, they, and actually someone said, where's the telly gone? And I said, well, I don't know. nicked it. I said, when you steal your own stuff, you've got nothing left. Right, yeah. And so it, through that process and many others, I realised that, I'd always thought we'd do housing and then we'd do education and I realised that actually to provide a young person with a roof over their head and a bed you can do it for a week or a, a decade but actually what you really got to provide them with is education informally and formally a different story a different narrative really I matter you know I you've got to change their internal view of themselves so they don't want to nick their own stuff and they come to respect property and they would come to respect themselves and they come to believe in themselves but if that doesn't happen 
when they leave you, they're always available to be abused, and they're going to fall back into crime or whatever it is, but they're available to be abused by someone else. But if you can give them informal education, social skills, in other words, and a different view of their, their selves, sense of self-worth, and then they need also formal education, literacy, numeracy, etc., etc., and, and so I realised that education butted right into the housing bit, and that's how the right. whole thing took off. You look at that, then you have this long-term goal, but then of course at some point you've got to put this into action. Yeah, yeah. As an entrepreneur, as a as a charity head, all this sort of yeah. stuff. I mean, that for me seems a massive stumbling block for myself. I was like, yeah. I don't even know how to set up a business. Like, I, don't I suppose yeah. once you have started yeah. on a house, then you can go, okay, well now we can yeah, do this. Yeah, yeah. Well, the truth is, I, I. I hardly know anything. The right. funny thing is, this very, this very morning I went to uh, Oxford to do some lectures at one of the colleges, and you know, that, and they read out this kind of resume of who you are before you speak, and yeah. I was impressed. I could take a while. I yeah, can imagine yeah, being yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And if I didn't actually yeah. know who I am, right? The, the truth is. I was I was fourteen. I was fourteen with this vision, and here I am, much later on in life. But I, the great gift I was given in my life is a sense of purpose, a sense of vision, sense of true north, if you like, an internal compass. So I know where I should be going and what I should be doing with my life. I might not know how to do it, and what I've slowly come to realise is, normally in those complicated meetings where you don't understand, no one else understands either, and that's why nothing happens. So I consider myself jack of all trades, master of none but a person who was given this gift as a teenager of a real sense of direction. I love that. A sense of true north. That's great. Yeah. I love that. There seems to be this maybe renewed interest in what we're eating, like sugars and fats and all that sort yeah, of big, evil sugar stuff. I, I, think, I think, you know, hopefully we're all living longer and I think we want to live well, so we want to have more life in our years and not just years on our life, because, you know, what's the point of being living a long time if we're just going to be old and frail and not able to do much? So I think that's a, a sort of a new incentive for people who realise that, you know, we are likely to be living into our 80s, 90s, you know, maybe beyond, and how do we keep our bodies going? Mm. So a lot of it's self-interest, but I think there's also a lot of new information, particularly around things like sugar, that it is just such an evil thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So things like your book, then, your, The Good Gut Guide, mm. how does that come about? Do you sort of have the idea of it, you know, whether it was a year or two ago or something? I had is to it... really push for it, actually, because my, my, producer, my, my producers and, and um, publishers, mm. uh, they want me to do lovely sort of beauty books. And right. so they said, oh, we can call it inner beauty. And I said, no, no, you don't understand. This is about mm. gut health. You know, it's really quite gritty. Yeah. So it's got to be the good gut guide, you know, put what it is on the tin and tell yeah. people about it. And I, I wanted to do it because as a researcher, everybody I was talking to, whether it was psychiatrists about mental health and depression or combating violent behaviour in prisons um, or whether I was talking to cancer specialists about immunity or Parkinson's researchers or dermatologists about skin disorders, everything seemed to come back to these microbes. I mean, it was just extraordinary. You know, talk about all roads leading to Rome. So I guess in, you know, in self-interest, I thought, mm. I just want to find out about this too. And, uh, and it's ongoing, literally, every time you open the newspaper or, you know, somebody's talking about some new development in medicine. So often it's mm. linked back to what's going on in the gut. Yes. Is it fair to say you've always... I was hearing about you talking once about going to the British Library, you know, before yeah. internet, you know... Oh, gosh, Having yeah. to go and do, your, do the groundwork on yeah. this sort of stuff. I think, you know, it's, it's, I, it's been an interesting journey over the years because now we've got all these lovely young... And bloggers and vloggers yeah. and podcasters obviously yeah. uh, and 
I think, you know, they say the road to hell is, is paved with good intention. And, you know, so many people are very fired up and enthusiastic about knowledge and information. But you need to be really careful where you get it from. And I guess it is because 30 years ago I did start as a journalist. And I'm very suspicious by nature. And I do, I like to go back to the source. So if someone sends me a press release with a study quoted, you know, you don't take that at face value. I'm a doer. I'm very fortunate. I've got lots and lots and lots and lots of people around yes. me with expertise Excellent. now. But I, I, I went through a stage when I felt I'd become redundant to Oasis because we've got so many smart people. Leadership is not the same thing as management which everybody knows why do you need a leader at all if all you're trying to do is manage what you've got going on so we could be running we, 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 next year we run 55 schools I think we've got right. so we're only in these schools we have about a thousand people that we put into housing each year etc etc so we do all this stuff but that doesn't need leadership that needs management Right. Because it yes. already exists. Of course. That library is management. So a leader is redundant to a steady state organisation. You've just got to manage it well. Yeah. A leader's job, their only job is to help get the team from where they are to where they ought to be. In other words, to get them from where they are to where they've never been yet, right. to the new place. So a leader's team is a leader's job is simply to lead out into the future into the unknown place I can't, my job when, when we all arrive in that unknown place is to assemble a group of people who can then manage that I see, yes, yes, set that up and then you can be thinking yeah. about the next thing And yeah, that's if fantastic. you don't want to go anywhere or develop from where you are you don't need a leader mm. you need really good managers more from Steve and Liz later, but look at the time. We're still only on guest three and loads to get in. Uh, so Tim Reed was on last episode about Peter Kay's car share. Well worth listening to episode 11 on that. And he's back, baby. Oh, yes, because he has also got business bones as well. Here's Tim. Tim Reed. Good day. We've just had a handshake as well. Have they not on the podcast? Surprise me. I know. You surprised me. Exactly. Well, I've not spoken about it anyway, you know. Or the curtsying or bowing. There's a lot of that. What did you think of that, my curtsy then? Textbook. Textbook. It was the best bow and curtsy we've ever had. Was it? It is. Not many people can do the two at the same time. It's a good look. Yeah. It turns heads. Yeah. So. I don't know how to even introduce what because you have quite a unique comedy writer, but also, uh, uh, how would you describe yourself? Well, I suppose um, an innovation consultant, I guess, or a creativity coach. Depends depends who I'm talking to, really. But, yeah, as well as the comedy writing, um, you know, I tend to do a lot of training teams in how to have ideas. Um, And I often bridge the two things. So a lot of kind of, you know, the stuff that comedy writers and comedians use tools techniques behaviors that kind of thing um and there are a lot that we we use but we think of it fairly intuitively you know having spoken to loads of other writers you know if you start to uncover a process even if you didn't think there was one there is you know and it's interesting that i because i would have thought the comedy writers generally we seem to blunder our way through Mm. not quite knowing what we do there are a few of course who know exactly what they're doing and are brilliant but generally you wouldn't have thought that it's stuff you could learn from comedy writers to take elsewhere. But, yeah. but that's what, you know, you've uncovered sort of processes that we didn't know what you were doing. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, even if it's just about how to avoid the blocks and mm. getting stuck in, yeah. you know, kind of comedy cul-de-sacs. And yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll find ways of getting out of it. So before I wrote 
car show with with uh, my co-writer. Uh, we used to. I was worked for an innovation consultancy, so a lot of the tools and techniques there were very specific processes, and uh, and a lot of the things that I've seen comedians and comedy writers use are, are very very similar. You know, whether it's about you know trying to force random links, you know, force force different right. random items together, whether it's about uh, you know re-expressing something in lots mm. of different ways and listing that out, mm. whether it's about. Um, Having a bath, you know, you get stuck. Right. Go and have a bath. <laughs> the amount of people that have said yeah. that, but again, I know right. that's, I know there's some real brain science behind. That's that. tricky to do in a writer's room, isn't it? it to is. uh, dive out, just it is, hold, yeah. hold on, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got the bath in the corner. That we uh, yeah. Asked for. yeah, yeah. Come on, let's all jump in. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a surprising yeah. kind of. I suppose footballers don't have more ideas. If that's true. You're right. Exactly. Maybe, maybe they do. Maybe, maybe that's where they come. We just don't know about it. Their tactics. Yeah, yeah. It's not that practical often to say, you know, let's have a. Throw some ideas around, come yeah. around, we'll all pop in the shower at three o'clock. <laughs> yes, actually. exactly, yeah. Although, Although you never know. I've worked with some writers I wouldn't want to do that. No, no fair sure. enough, that is true, that is true. I did bump into, um, not long ago, the, the, the secret footballer, they call him, mm. he does looks on the secret footballer. And I met him at a thing, and he's, he said he's got an idea for a sitcom. So there you go, go to the uh, footballers do have creative Everyone's got an idea ideas. for a sitcom, haven't they? And it was a football-based sitcom. Yeah, yeah. Also, so uh, maybe that will happen. I've had lots of people send me ideas on the back of car share. Right. Yeah, I've had quite a few people who've either found me on Twitter or found yes. my website and kind of sent me emails saying, I've got this brilliant idea, it's perfect. It'd be perfect for PTK, this coach share. Right, oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's what they should do. That's <laughs> the next thing. And I've had a few of those. As, so, if, yeah. as if that's what's oh, yeah. uh, missing. From, just a different vehicle. Yeah. You know, that's what it's all Which, about. Which, of course, I would, have ri- I would have written that next, mm. except I can't now. Someone has got the same money. Someone's got it, exactly. Ruined, ruined my career. Since ca- it's car-, car share meets coach trip. It's going to be <laughs> exactly. amazing. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> So Tim, like me, is a comedy writer, but does that extra business thing too that I kind of lack. Uh, Our next guest, Steve Legg, also like me, is a comic performer. And again, he has an extra business thing that I also lack. And for him, that is setting up a men's magazine. But he is doing it differently. He started from scratch. And here is his voice. Hello, welcome to the Heptagon Club. Do you know what, it's lovely, it's a lot brighter than I thought. It's, well, well, we turned the lights on for you, that's why, we thought you'd have a spotlight, don't you? The lovely window. I know, you're on, this is it, you know. Thank Se- you. Seven sides, as you can see. It's good to be here. Seven guests, there's the other six. Seven corners. Seven corners, hence the seven sides, you know, it's, uh, it's a thing. Do you know what, I had to think about that, because I thought, yeah. is that right, surely there's, there's more corners, but... Yeah, it would be quite seven sides and six corners would be a tricky, uh, yeah, tricky no, show to do. Maybe it? there might be eight corners with the. Uh, well, it would be it. it would be like a square having five corners. Well, precisely. This is, is what my uh, wife said. It's like a roof. So I thought I won't mention it. So Let's not go there. I know exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we were having a discussion earlier the other week. We spent five minutes talking about is the centre of a heptagon the same as the middle? And I think it has to be because the centre is the middle. The centre means middle. Yeah, I think so. Yes, yeah, so I remember that conversation because he was saying, "Isn't it a heptagon?" Yeah. I think it, it could be a septagon. I think it's meant to be a heptagon. Or septagon. Yes, he was saying it could be a septagon. Which I think, on oh no, a septagon seven, isn't it? Yeah, this is Sorry, seven. I think it's that the hepta <laughs> prefix is yeah. Greek and the septa is Latin. Yes, you're right. And whoever invented polygons thought, well, let's just stick with one. So I yes. think that's probably where we got to. So comedy, magic, and then you have launched a magazine. Yeah, I've, I've, I've written probably about 13 books or so right. over the years. And I was having a conversation, literally probably about 10 years ago, in the school playground with my accountant. Right. And I hasten to have we both had children at the I was school. We say, just go was, it, was, it, was it a young lad, was it? <laughs> little ten-year-old. They're very smart, these little kids, aren't they, nowadays? And uh, he was just telling me how his ten-year-old son's mates mm. were bringing lance mags into the playground. Nuts and FHM yes. and, and laughing at semi-clad women mm. and, and all this really unhelpful stuff. 
And he was saying, wouldn't it be great if someone started something that was good and wholesome yeah. that could go all over the world and be a news agent? And it got me thinking, and I thought only a lunatic would start that sort of thing. And I thought, well, why don't I give it a go? So you are that something. lunatic. Yeah, why yeah, not? Yeah. He who dares wins. Because yeah. um, I, I am an entrepreneur, really, in all the things that I've done. You know, this entrepreneurial streak in me. And I thought, well, why not? I'm pretty well connected. I know lots of people. I spoke to some people. People like Bear Grylls has been with us right from the beginning and said, uh, if we start, will you do a column? And he's been in every magazine ever since. So in November, we celebrate 10 years. We're in 21 countries. We're in hundreds of WH Smith news agents. We send them uh, free copies into 62 prisons. And we give away thousands of the armed forces. Yeah. Airport departure I've seen gates. them at airports. I've been on holiday going out and then grabbed a sausage Who would have thought at the, the airport eh? gate. So what's grabbing it? You, you have got then, you've got the you know, tech and um, gadgets, cars and gadgets and, and some amazing all this interviews. sort of stuff. Film and music yeah. and things, you know. So in, uh, in terms of our influence... You know, we're, we're pretty big. Yeah. So if someone's over promoting a movie, yeah. we get offered a 10 minute slot in a hotel room at the Dorchester with yeah. Denzel Washington, for example, right, or Chris Pratt. And you think, what an amazing opportunity. And yeah, absolutely. You literally have that 10 minute slot, and then the next magazine comes in, and then the next newspaper. Yes. Um, but yeah, really excited. So I, I love all these different things, a huge variety yeah. in my life. So Monday to Thursdays generally working on the mag. Right. Fridays and Saturdays out gigging. Yeah, chatting to me now. Yes. <laughs> this is it. Yeah, sorry to drag back for the magazine. We are living the dream. It's exactly. So okay, let's just fill in one little gap then out of interest. So you have the idea to yeah. launch a magazine. Yeah. And then we talked about what the magazine is. Yes. So how do you go from I mean I've always been fascinated. In my head I'm an entrepreneur, but yes. in practice I go, I wouldn't know where to begin. How do you no. No well, one tells I you do. how to create a magazine or how to launch it, or you've got printers, you've got, you suddenly got to come up with something and get well, out of there. Yeah, I know. You I learn mean, the hard way, you just do it on your I own. I have people write to me saying, Can we come and meet your team? Mm. We think you're starting a magazine. And yeah. I think, Well, this is the team, I right. make the coffee, I do yes. this, I do that. Yeah. Um, I work from home, tiny little room in, in, in my home. Mm. And I started, and I still think back at, at it, and I think the folly of youth, it was only 10 years ago, so I was 40. Yes. You know, I sat down and looked at my database of subscribers, mm. not a single name, right? not a single advertiser, yeah. and I thought, you know, if I wait until the money comes in, if I wait to get the subscribers, they're not going to come. Who's going to subscribe to something that doesn't exist? Right. So I started the first one, and we, we spoke to Kaka and said, would you be on the front cover? And he was on the front, and Bear was involved, and all sorts of really good people. So we launched it at this big venue in Belfast. And I think we've got 500 subscribers over that right. weekend, which right. was going to kickstart I needed. So yes. it's flipping hard work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, every day you're trying oh, to get bet. more subscribers. Yeah. And I take it very personally when people unsubscribe. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, because I do everything. I see yes. see it all come through. I see, yeah, of you course. Know. And I have a photographic memory as well, right. which is very useful yeah. most of the time. But yeah. sometimes I'll see these people and I'll oh, remember no. their name. Yeah, of course. I'm <laughs> awkward. Yeah, and when friends yeah. unsubscribe... Well, be absolutely. Be careful what you do. I just remember Belfast there. Yeah, I did a gig there. It's more one gig I did in Belfast, where my real name is Paul Young, like the '80s pop star. And uh, I told the promoter, I said, "If you're going to fly me out of Belfast, my name is Paul Young for the, for the plane ticket." And they they just didn't bother to put this through. So I had the plane ticket to Paul Carenza, and of course nowadays they wouldn't let you board. No, exactly. But back then they eventually said, um, "All right, if you can prove it to us that you're a comedian." And do a little show here. You are kidding. And they closed all the desks. And I had to do a little five-minute stand-up set to all of the passengers. You know what reminded me of something? I did flying out of Kyrgyzstan. I was I was flying out of Kyrgyzstan, which right. is near China, right, and underneath um, Russia. Okay. And flying out, and I had all my props in the yeah. case, yeah. and they wanted to kick the lock, and they were right. checking it all. 
So I did a show in Five Minutes of Magic. Really? You yeah. did the show there? Yes. Good to know it's not just me. There's a whole there's a whole other um, circuit, it seems, of airport gigs, <laughs> yeah. the impromptu airport gigs that are unplanned and unheard of. The Heptagon Club. Seven guests, seven corners. The Heptagon Club with Paul Carenza. The biggest thing I think I've seen that, that makes the difference between people struggling to come up with ideas and and those that, can, that, that seem to do it more naturally is to um, actively and purposefully separate expansive thinking, in other words, kind of having ideas, from uh, reductive thinking, getting judgmental about them. In other words, what people tend to do is go, oh, I've got this interesting idea, and then, and then whether themselves or someone else go, oh, but it wouldn't work because. And you start to kill things off before they've had a chance to really grow into something big. So give the time and space to let something live and breathe and grow before you get judgmental or reductive. And what you might do while you're doing that is have two or three or four different ideas, let them all grow, and then, and then allow yourself to go, OK, we need to focus on one, which one is it? But, but do that separately rather than mix it all together and go, what if we did this? Oh, no, that wouldn't work because... And I think that's the difference, is give the ideas a chance and time to grow. Um, before you start thinking about how and why they couldn't work. Yes. Uh, that's probably... Um, and, and, and be brave. That's another thing. Be brave. Have confidence. Uh, again, another thing we often do when we're having ideas, uh, you know, comedy aside, I suppose, is kind of think, oh, I won't, I won't, I'm not going to share that with anyone. I won't, yeah. I won't tell anyone that because people might laugh. And actually, you know, again, comedy aside... I think actually, if people laugh at mm. the start of an idea, it probably means there's something brilliant in it. Yeah. Obviously, that's true of comedy. Of course. But I think of any type yes. of idea, if someone kind of laughs, it's probably because there's recognition. You know, actually, yeah, that that's funny. It fits, but it's surprising too. So yes. I'd um, I'd embrace the laughter. Yeah, I heard it said of one producer. I forget who it was that um, that in a writers' meeting he will deliberately pitch the first idea and make it bad mm. so that we all go, cool, that stinks, cool, that's yeah. the worst thing. Relaxes everyone. They give you permission then yeah. to be as, as awful as you'd like. Yeah. You know. yeah, you've got get to, the old yeah. out there. You've got to get your head into I know, allowing yourself to have some rubbish ideas. Yes, yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you're online, people can see your website and yeah, of course. find all about your... Yeah, timreed.co. Uh, yep. Uh, .co, not nothing Yeah, else. just .co. Wow. Yeah, stop nice early. and just stop. Yeah, yeah. That's all you need. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, and uh, Timry69. Yes. As the Twitter. On the Twitter. On the Twitter. Awesome yeah. stuff. Well, we look forward to uh, van share, yeah. coat share, <laughs> tandem share, whatever yeah. it might be. Tim Reed, Steve Legg, they're all mingling. What an eclectic bunch we have this week. Nibbles are circulating, mostly around my stomach. I shouldn't have eaten them before the guests arrived, I suppose. It's a good time for our bring a bottle moment. Something for you, the listener, to bring to the party. It varies each week. This week is the once a series that I ask you to consider putting your hand in your pocket. We do have a donate button on heptagonclub.co.uk. You can be a donor to help keep us afloat uh, because this old pod has cost me dear, folks. Well, not dear, but uh, it's into the three figures. Uh, five if you include after the decimal point. So, look, you can make a one-off donation, a pound an episode, something like that, more, less, your call. We've also got a Patreon button at the top of the heptagonclub.co.uk page if you would like to be a super Heptagon supporter and help fund us ongoing. And there are lots of big old rewards available for that too. 
you so you can gain big time as well. Patreon or donate, your call. But once a series, this is the only ask you will get. If you would do that, please do. If you can, we can make more of these. And if you can't, then, well, I'm not threatening, but the gap between the series might just go on and on a little bit longer. So come on, it's business week. Perfect time to actually, you know, buy something rather than consume for free like all of us podcast listeners actually quite like to do. I do that as well. But uh, hepticonclub.co.uk will you find the donate button, the Patreon button, and I thank you. Now, here is a guest who wowed us at our live show a few weeks back, hence the arrival of an audience in the audio that will now follow. It's one of the world's only stand-up archaeologists. It's Paul Duncan McGarrity. Take a seat, take a seat. So, Paul Duncan McGarrity, you are a stand-up, yes. but you are also an... Archaeologist. An archaeologist? How about that? That's rare, isn't it? Yes. How? So gigging, gigging and digging, I presume, are your two yes. things. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. um, professionally in both capacities. Yeah. There's two of us. There are two of really? Yeah. Who's the other one? Uh, her name's Ella, and uh, she's better than me, uh, apart from... No, just at the archaeology. Okay. <laughs> at least you know. That's great. Yeah. Oh no, I definitely do. She she specialises in early hominids and investigates them in conflict zones like uh, Iraqi Kurdistan. And I like bricks. Nice, <laughs> nice. Well, I know you've done a show asking archaeologists. Yes. You? So technically, this is what this is now. Yeah. Um, so okay, she specialises in that. What do you special? Do you specialise in something? Yeah, I specialise in standing buildings archaeology, which is applying archaeological method uh, to investigate the history of structure. Uh, so we look at the different building materials and all that sort of stuff, and find out the history of, of that. And before that, I was a general archaeologist, uh, commercial in the commercial uh, area of archaeology in London for ten years. What's a, see, I don't know anything now. Commercial archaeologists is like a set yeah. out of archaeologists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what people, <laughs> so people think archaeology and they tend to think either sort of Indiana Jones or the other face we get is like, uh, and that's the time team face. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So um, commercial archaeology, what people don't know, uh, most archaeology in the UK is funded by uh, the developer. Uh, if you are going to build a house and you find archaeology in the ground, you as the developer have to pay for us to be there. We, we didn't have protection for archaeology until 1991, uh, legal protection of that nature, until the excavation of the Rose Theatre on the South Bank, oh, yes. when uh, all of these uh, loveys basically decided to stop the development of uh, one of the original Elizabethan playhouses. Uh, and it was led by uh, Ian McKellen. Okay. Yes, so we have planning law in this country because Ian McKellen went, You shall not pass! <laughs> and recently, there was archaeology news recently, wasn't there? There was, so they lot. found some archbishops. Ah, oh, yeah, place. my mate Steve did that. Did I, I love that, there you go, my mate Steve. That's well, actually, there are, <laughs> there are, uh, there are 5,000 archaeologists in the UK and there are 10,000 comedians on one Facebook group. So I'm actually a niche within a niche. Nice, I like it. So you specialise in the bricks and the buildings and things like that. Yeah. Um, I have always thought of archaeologists as being basically just interested in Roman times. Um, <laughs> uh, but Because you've got this commercial background, I've had to excavate everything from uh, the Neolithic all the way up to World War II. And basically you get that kind of... I haven't got a deep knowledge on a lot of those historical points. But I have got to... Um, I've done three cemetery clearances. Uh, one was Roman, uh, one was medieval, and one was uh, about 150 years old. Actually, I've done four, I apologise. I also did the Crossrail uh, site. 
where we had about 2,000 bodies. Wow, how about that? That's yeah. quite something. So even within that kind of like, that just that, uh, people say, oh, you, you dig up skeletons, yeah. Yeah. even there, there's a huge date range available. See, when you see the crossrail thing, you don't think of the skeletons, do you? you oh, no, the crossrail thing is, is definitely the skeletons for me, particularly as um, arche uh, archaeological excavation is invasive. Uh, people don't realise this, but it's actually the last thing we want to do as archaeologists. Preservation in situ, it, when in the ground, is actually preferred. Which means that we had to do a very weird thing on Crossrail. They're putting in an, a ticket hall near Liverpool Street. And so they had this slope to take the uh, escalators. Which meant that we had to dig the ground to match the slope of the escal escalators. So when they finished that... Please remember, as you're going down at the station, literally two metres below your feet are some half-skeletons because their legs went into the ground and we weren't allowed to take them out. Nice. Um, you're doing a tour and things. Yeah, and I'm, I'm doing my show, Ask an Archaeologist, as Paul Duncan McGarity versus the Minor Tour. You can find it at www.paulduncanmcgarity.co.uk. Now, while we're on comedians, here is a sneak peek at our star guest next episode. It is one month until the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I'm not going myself. I'm touring around my show around some other festivals, as previously mentioned, Guildford, Camden, that sort of thing. Details online, thank you. But our next episode will be our Edinburgh special, full of folks going, starring PBH, Sir Peter of Buckley Hill. And on this week of business, who better to speak to? than someone who has a doctorate in teaching all about business. This is the free fringe founder and veteran of alternative comedy since its genesis, it's Peter Buckley Hill. So what were you, what's your speciality then in terms of your teaching and lecturing? What were you at? Well, I'm most elected in, uh, in, in, in business studies and marketing. Right, uh, yes. Well, yeah. well, the marketing course is part of um, business studies. Um, uh, but actually, my research um, was mostly on education itself okay right on the uh, on the process of learning on the uh, effect mm. um, of the physical environment on the process of uh, of learning okay. and that's yeah. yes well given your your um, you know skills as a teacher and lecturer then and the comedy side have you ever taught comedy would you ever teach comedy uh, and what do you think of teaching comedy i have attempted to right. uh, um, teach comedy mm. um, because i was asked to by a right. college if I were to ever teach again, uh, or teach comedy again, which um, I doubt very much would happen, mm. um, I would probably focus on comparing. Okay, right. Because that, if anything, is what is done most badly right. on the circuit. Right. Um, what uh, mistakes and, uh, do you see being I'm, made then? You, is it people trying to... Um, the, 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 yeah, the, the primary mistake in my opinion, is engaging the audience as individuals. Right, yeah, OK. Yeah. Yes, because that seems to be basic entry-level comparing is you walk up there, what do you do for a living? Yes, someone has yeah. taught them that, yes. and I wish they would. Yes. I've done a lot of comparing, I've seen a lot of comparing, um, but most importantly, and especially with my Ed English shows, I have flyer cues, Held yeah. the buckets for the shows yes. before and after, been in other words in places where the audience talk to each other mm. and listen to that. Most audience members don't like it. Yeah, people have that thing of thinking, oh, I'd hope they don't talk to me. Hope they know. don't think yes. on me. Exactly. Yes. Why the front rows so left empty? Even before the show has started, they have a negative attitude towards the show, and then when the show does start and it happens. Mm. 
Um, it's yeah. embarrassing for all parties. Yeah. And then, of course, you get the audience member who takes it the other way around yes. and monopolises yeah. the conversation. There are still people out there who believe that disruptive heckling is helpful to the show. And it's not helpful yeah. to the show. It's still encouraged in many ways, isn't it? It's still, the, yes, indeed. Uh, yeah. um, mostly by television producers who don't know comedy well. Yeah, they think that's what it's all about. And they equally, think that's what it's all about. It, yeah. In America, I'm hearing more as well about crowd work. Like, I'm a crowd work comedian, you know, kind of people who just walk out there and just... People can do it. I mean, the most excellent worker with, with, you know, with audiences is Ross Noble. Right. Yeah. He can do yeah. it. Uh, and he can be completely off the wall yes. at the same time. Now that is a skill. Yes, that man is massively talented. Sure, uh, um, but uh, we're not—we're not all Ross Nobles for a start. You know? And then even I, then, you see Ross Noble, yeah. and he'll use one little tiny speck mm. from the audience and then run with it. He doesn't yes. keep on asking battery waver questions, you know, mm. uh, like an interview. And he'll yeah. choose his victims, or he'll choose the people he asks him um, carefully. Yes. And not undermine them. Yes. Uh, yes. Beyond that which years of experience has taught him, yeah. he can go. That's PBH. And before we mingle over to Liz Earl again, here is another comedian we've not featured before. First time at the club for David Whitney. Yeah, I started as an actor and fell into stand up, and then sort of stand up just sort of took over my life and just fell so utterly in love with it. But, like, you know, most love affairs, you get jaded and you go back to the person that you saw earlier. And, <laughs> and I, I really don't know if I, if I had to choose. I mean, it's completely hypothetical. Why would I have to choose? Yeah, yeah. Um, but if I had to choose, I would really. Would, would really struggle to be. I definitely prefer stand up as a working level of the sort of like, you know, uh, you know, just being able to earn a living rather than you know just sat around in your flat in your pants eating croissants waiting for your agent to call. Yeah. Um, yeah. With stand up, you, you know, you can just get in your car. And, and work. Turn up to a gig you're not booked at. Yeah. <laughs> so, are you doing Edinburgh? Are you doing? I'm not doing Edinburgh. Oh, yes. I really need to pull my finger out and get back to Edinburgh. Um, uh, I did a show in 2012, which was a very, was very much a tale of two halves because it was during the London Olympics. And everybody was so sceptical around the London Olympics. No one wanted it was interested. Nobody. And then the second it started, the whole country went crazy. Uh, I, I've got a theory that it might be the, the apex of human evolution. Because yeah. uh, it seemed like the most pure uh, celebration of love and sport and togetherness and internationalness. And since then, it's been downhill since then. Yeah, I, I genuinely yeah, yeah. think that, yeah. you know, the species that comes after us yeah. will. We'll, we'll see the London That was the Olympics. high point. The humanity. Turns out Seb Coe was right all along. And, uh, and that was that was humanity's peak. Yeah, you're exactly. right. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah you've so got a point. It was a bad year to do anything. Yeah. The first 10 days, course, yeah. first 10 days during the, the, the Olympics was mm. just... just Playing to empty seats, yeah, and then and then after the Olympics finished, I sold out every night. But it, you know, right. the damage financially, the damage had been done. Yeah, well, and also the Saturday review, you yeah. spend a fortune to get PR to get reviewers to come and see you in the first week, and they literally, at some points, were the only people in the room. Oh no, really? And so yeah. you know, I, I'm a very clubby comic. I don't, yeah. uh, and I, I, 
took an hour of club comedy. There was no, yeah. there was no story. There was no sensitive moment where I realised right. that I really did love my dad. Yes. Yes. It, it was just that, and doing that to six people is. Yeah, you're playing the room, and the room is a bunch yeah. of reviewers. And uh, is that where you're from? Because you are, you're a Scottish. That doesn't uh, say uh, a, a Scott who doesn't say. Oh, you're Aberdeen. Yeah. Are you? yeah. I couldn't place the accent. Clearly, clearly, <laughs> yeah. clearly you're an Aberdonian. I think, I think uh, if you listen yeah. carefully to my accent, you'll yeah. realise that it's parachute regiment. I always say, oh, uh, I see. Yes, yes. <laughs> Both uh, my parents in the army. So oh, really? Uh, just moved around to army base to army base. Right, and, right. Um, ended up with a generic British army accent. I see. So have you, did you grow up travelling the world, kind of? Uh, well, Germany. Germany, OK. <laughs> well, that's the world, isn't it? Uh, it's, in the, it's in the world. <laughs> you know, Cornwall's in the world. I was in Cornwall. There you are. Yeah. Germany, OK, right. Uh, but not, I mean, age-wise, not during the war, uh, I'm sensing. <laughs> no, no. Um, it wasn't like they were, you know... No, yeah. my parents were in a goal. I mean, apart from having to go and have the office fight in Northern Ireland... Right. It was a golden period to be in the British Army because it was still incredibly well-funded, still living on the glory days of the Second World War and that we were the king of the world. Um, but very little fighting. Yeah, I found it cool. <laughs> when I grew up, I'm sure I knew a few... Um, I was at school with a few uh, army families, and I remember a lot of them were stationed in Germany. Yeah. And I think I asked my dad about that. He was like, "Oh yeah, well, 30 years on, we thought we better just you know, keep, an eye keep on. a few there just in case yeah. it all kicks off again." And you know, you think actually they've done their time. So yeah, that way. but well, well done. We're, we're hoping that they're going to save us from the fascists. Yeah, they? now it's now the, uh, the, yeah. the 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 jackboots on the other foot or <laughs> something like that. Media side of things, you've done lots of media things as well. Mm. From this morning, GMTV, yeah, all sorts of yeah, um, BBC, and one RTV. of the first was your pro. One of the first things on QVC, the first beauty things on QVC. Yeah, it was. Yeah, the beauty company um, we launched on QVC mm. and, and became one of their biggest brands. I think it still right. is. Yeah, so yeah. That was quite a journey. I bet. Um, yeah. But the lovely thing about QVC is there's never any bad news. Right, yes. You know, everyone's always That's smiling true. and selling you something lovely that would change yes. your life. <laughs> I bet the ratings have been phenomenal the last week or so on QVC. Yeah, if you, oh my goodness. That, yeah, you know. if you want to tune in to somebody smiling and telling yeah. you about something. But I love live. Mm. I mean, I, I don't often do things like this where it's recorded. Yes. Because I find, and I trust you, Paul. Of course. So, you know, of and course. this is absolutely, yes. we're in the circle of trust. Totally. Here. I haven't got time to edit this. <laughs> <laughs> now, Liz was on GMTV back in the day, and do you know who else? was Steve Chalk. So the thing is, I, I got a job for GMTV in the yes. morning, so through the 90s I used mm. to be on that team that presented each morning. I wasn't on each morning, I was on that team with Anthea Turner and Lorraine Kelly and yes. Eamon Holmes and that. We had Mr Motivator, we had a great oh, yes, They were yes. so kind oh, to me. The, the whole glory, lot. The glory Dr Hilary Jones, yep. yeah. yeah. Yep. The, the height of television I in the UK. I like your meet-ups, get up at a dinner party, <laughs> fantastic. So, yeah, yeah, good. They, yeah, many of them are still my friends, you know, great. still in contact. Yeah. Anyway, so the thing is, because of that, the BBC said, why don't you present songs of praise and so um, I, I took that on and as I often used to say you, you know I, I, you go to a party and um, and people say I've seen you on telly haven't you I say oh yeah I work, I work for BBC One you present for BBC One yeah. and you've got to say they say what do you present songs of praise not some much hip and trendy just yes. hip and replacement right, right. <laughs> no, it's kind of, no, it's kind of, and, but yeah. the, 
the thing is, uh, um, I'm, I'm working on some new ideas with the BBC at the moment. I think uh, for the uh, ethics and religion department, I'm working on a project with them, been talking to them this week actually. So the thing is, religion is about ethics, it's about morals, it's about choices, it's about big choices we make in life. It's not about standing in a building singing some songs, you know, that are very kind of 90s, 1980s and disassociated from the rest of the life. That kind of dualism that says religion is that kind of stuff you do on a, a Sunday and it's pretty boring, you know, yeah. but it's worth sticking with because you go to heaven as a result. Right, well, right. You know. It's all down payment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Huge insurance. <laughs> that it is irrelevant. To, uh, but, but actually, the BBC Ethics and Religion Department, in my... my understand is the core department of everything that BBC is because it's the ethics and the morality and the values of our country as we confront the big issues that are going to create the society that our children and our grandchildren and beyond that live in. It's the choices we make now about the shape of the society we want that's going, going to shape the future. It's all about your moral compass, your true norm. Yes. It's all about the same thing. What's our ultimate goal? Well, let's make choices in line with that. So I believe that the, I believe that religion really understood. You know the word religion, it comes from ligament. It's a Latin word. Okay. Re-ligament. Right. And a ligament connects... Mm. You, your ligament connects one bit of your body to the next bit of it. So religion is about reconnection. And it means reconnecting to yourself... Yeah. And understand your own story, reconnecting to others, and reconnecting to God. And it strikes me that that is a great true north. Before we finish then, your charity, tell us about your charity as well. Oh, so Live, live Twice. Yeah. Um, I travel a lot, and mm. went, particularly on botanical field trips, and often go to developing countries where there is just so little opportunity. Mm. So it was a way, really, of giving back. So, um, so basically, we we fundraise, but I also fund it. So I provide all the running costs for the charity, so that any donations that we get, a hundred percent, go to the projects. And we work with small scale people that we know, often in East Africa, um, providing opportunities, whether it's skills training or welfare or healthcare and making a real difference, often in very small, isolated communities where the big guys don't reach. So we are we are small scale, but we're very nimble and we are very effective mm. on the ground. And I love it. And for me, I want to spend more of my time doing that. I see that as kind of my lasting legacy. All power to you. And thank you. I love what you do. Thank so you. thank you for yes, joining us. Uh, very kind of you. Thank you, Liz. Liz's book, The Good Gut Guide, is now added to our Amazon guest list of guests' books. We have a link on our Facebook page where each guest get to have one book featured and hers is now out it's a cracker the good gut guide is hers steve's leg and chalk both have books as well they'll be on there too and uh, well steve legs book is about well he can tell you books out called paper thongs and further misadventures paper thongs and further misadventures. yes excellent it's good. based on years on the road funny incidents brilliant strange things that have happened you can have the kyrgyzstan for next book can't you i so say you will yeah. that's definitely going yeah, you have that i'll write that down if i yeah. remember how to spell it <laughs> exactly yeah, so yeah. wise and Z's and I think it's K-Y-R something like that or is it K-R-Y-Z oh, it could be one or the other K-R-Y-Z. definitely begins with K this could be a competition do people text in yeah exactly yeah how do you spell Kyrgyzstan yeah yeah, yeah. just Google no it. cheating now yeah just send your uh, 
They send your answers to Kyrgyzstan competition. You've got to spell it correctly. Yeah, box. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So, in fact, your book, the we, will, we will add to what we have an Amazon uh, list um, oh, of guests, uh, you know, the books that have been done yeah. by the guests on the, on the podcast. So we'll, we'll add it to that so Thank people can just see. click and see it. So uh, there you go. Awesome. Well, hasn't this been a bumper episode? Time to go then. Uh, seven more uh, next episode, which will land in late July, just ahead of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Do share us, rate us, do uh, employ me in some capacity, by all means. Thank you to Sam Gould for our artwork, to Rob Halligan for this music that you now hear, to our seven guests and to you for listening. Remember, donate, Patreon, or heptagonclub.co.uk. Hey you, as anybody said to you today. It's your one time of asking, and we will return deeper into the summer jungle with another clubful of good eggs for you. You look positively beautiful in your blue jeans. It doesn't matter what you wear. Goodbye. You amazing dude to you. Cause you're the best